And the reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through to 24. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole, whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and asked and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, it's a uh, miserable morning and yet uh, lovely to be inside on a time like this in the warm, alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and in some ways no better topic for us to be reflecting upon than the privilege and wonder of your spirit, your spirit that does so much within us uh, that we can so easily take for granted. And I pray that this morning you would strengthen uh, each of us in your spirit and that we would be even more thankful for him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've already heard, today is uh, Pentecost. Um, uh, What Pentecost means in the church calendar is, think back to when Jesus is alive, he dies on the cross, he rises three days later, 
And in his resurrected body, he ministered amongst the people for a number of days after his resurrection, for 40 days. Then on the 40th day, he's ascended, goes back to be with the Father. Then, then 10 days later, on the 50th day, which is this, this day, the Spirit comes down. And that's what Pentecost is. Some people call it the birthday of the church. This is when the Spirit, Jesus said that he had to go to the Father and then would send the Spirit. The Spirit comes on Pentecost, comes upon the believers, and you and I live now as Pentecostal Christians in the light of that. And so it seemed like a very good opportunity because we at St Stephen's have been doing a little series on some of the 39 articles, some of the statements of faith that the Anglican Church believes. It seemed like a, a really good opportunity to do Two birds, one stone. We can do the article that's on the Holy Spirit, of which there's a a couple of little technical things we need to look at, but then we can think about the outworking of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and what that means for you and I. Because I want us to be thinking as we go through this series on the 39 articles that these are not just dry, dusty doctrines that we're thinking about. These are wonderful truths about God and ourselves that have absolute implication for how we live our lives day to day. It's the bread and butter of who we are and how we should operate and they're wonderful things that we're looking at. But we've got to do the dry, dusty part first. We have to kind of cover that. So what I'd like to do is briefly look at the article and explain a couple of things from it, but then look at, we can't cover the whole Holy Spirit today, can we? But I want us to focus on two aspects of the Spirit that is particularly seen on the day of Pentecost and how that is a massive blessing for you and I. So Article 5 should be behind me. Have a look at it. Of the Holy Ghost. We don't tend to use the term ghost anymore. I think uh, the, the feeling is that ghost got too tied up with um, supernatural kind of uh, bad stuff. That's technical term, maybe above some of you. That's what I'm getting. So we tend to use spirit more, but that's what it is, of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and the Son is of one substance, majesty and glory with the Father and the Son, very and eternal God. If you were with us last week, we looked at Article 1, which is the Trinity, And this builds on it. In fact, if you go through the articles, you've got Article 1, which is the Trinity, then 2, 3 and 4, which are on Jesus, and then Article 5, which is the Spirit. And because it's the the same kind of language and expression that's going on here that was here last week, because what's wanting to get across more than anything else is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He's not a subset member. He's not mine, a junior member of the, of the Godhead or anything different. He's equal. Uh, he's a he, not an it, which is worth noting. Uh, when you read through the New Testament, when the Spirit's used, in Greek there's three genders. There's male, female and neuter. Neuter's never used for the Spirit. It's always male. And I don't think that's getting it that it's a masculine spirit. I think it's getting it that it's a personal spirit. This is what, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about something impersonal like the force in Star Wars, where it's kind of impersonal and the force can be good or the force could be bad. No, 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 the Holy Spirit is a person. But we're also told in the article the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, That means that in in some sense the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, I won't give you all the kind of um, uh, uh, verses and things today because I don't want us to get distracted, but you can read of the Father sending the Spirit. Uh, But you can also read of Jesus, the Son, sending the Spirit or breathing the Spirit out on his disciples as he does uh, in one well-known incident in John's Gospel. 
But that doesn't mean that the Spirit is subservient to the Father or the Son. Remember last week we saw this with the Trinity. One God, three persons, different roles. And this article is at great pains to show the equality of the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. Do you see it there? The Spirit is of one substance. Remember we saw last week that word means one essence, one being. One substance, one majesty, one glory with the Father, Son, uh, Father and Son. So they're equal. They are very an eternal God. Do you see how the article can't put it any more strongly? But the truth is the Holy Spirit can be a really difficult thing for many Christians to feel as if they understand. And I do think it's very easy for us as individual Christians or churches to, to make one of two mistakes with the Spirit. On the one hand, we can focus on the Spirit excessively. Everything becomes about the Holy Spirit. Everything is about fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, tongues, prophecy. It almost becomes the central focus of the Christian life. And all uh, sermons or uh, services or conversations revolve around the Spirit. On the other hand, is the other kind of thing to, to be aware of. Some Christians, churches, styles virtually never mention the Spirit. It's almost as if there's not a trinity, there's just a, a binity or whatever that is. The Father and Son only. And I want to say this morning, to fall onto either side is a mistake. As Christians, we should absolutely be well aware and rejoice and speak and sing of the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit, of the third person of the Godhead. The New Testament uh, teaches us so clearly on the Holy Spirit so that we can know him and rejoice in him. However, any study of the scriptures shows that the work of the Spirit predominantly revolves around what? Jesus He's even called the Spirit of Jesus in the New Testament, called the Spirit of Christ in the New Testament. And one way, this is a simplistic way, but I think there's truth in it, which is helpful. One way of seeing the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit has two main roles in the New Testament, bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ and making people like Jesus Christ. And so the work of the, so the Spirit's not after glory or attention in and of himself. He's holding up the Lord Jesus to be glorified. It's what he's working towards. So we need to be balanced in our Christian life. Not ignoring the Spirit, not giving all the attention, having that kind of right balance. Now I said that there's two things from Acts 2 and this reading from Pentecost that I'd like us to focus on particularly this morning. And I know I'm skating over a few things but we're always limited in these times. Here's two really good things that I want us to, um, to focus on and both are to do with us being alone. And so in some sense they follow on from last week where I said that one of the the practical outworkings of the Trinity for you and I is that if God is relational in and of himself, three in one, then we're created as relational beings. That's why there's so much pain when relationships aren't there or are broken or corrupted. Well, today I want us to kind of move on from that and think about being alone. Last week I said one of the ways we punish in this world is to create Loneliness or isolation. A child is misbehaving, time out, away from everyone else. A prisoner in jail is misbehaving, uh, solitary confinement. I don't know if you agree with me on this. I think loneliness 
is one of the most devastating, painful things that people in this world suffer from today. And the more I'm involved in Christian ministry and talking to people about their lives, the more I'm convinced by this. And yet it's bizarre, isn't it, when you think about it? The world that you and I live in at this time more than any other is full of cities where we are surrounded often by millions and millions of people on our doorstep. And we've got ways to talk and write and hear and see and relate and communicate in ways that 30 years ago was science fiction. And yet have people ever felt more alone than they do today? I still remember back to 1996 and 97 where Jamie and I did a year in London and one of the things I I can't quite uh, believe still when I think back on that because it was only 20 years ago is the lack of communication that we had with loved ones here in New Zealand. I'm not hammering the loved ones here in New Zealand. That's because there were no mobile phones. There was no text. There was no email. There was no internet. This is only 20 years ago. There was no Skype. There was no FaceTime. There was no none of those things, only letters. We've got incredible ways of communication and relating. Do you know how many texts are sent in this world every day? I'm glad no one answered that because neither do I. But in, <laughs> but in 2014, it was 18.7 billion texts a day. 18.7 billion texts a day. 10 billion phone calls a day. Emails, get this, million emails per second. Most of them spam, but (laughs) 2.4 million emails. We've got ways today of communicating and keeping in touch and relating, and yet I think we're more alone than ever before. We've got more ways of keeping up. I know what friends are doing on the other side of the world the moment they do it because they put everything online and, and yet we're more lonely than ever before. And I'm not just talking about single people. We can hear about the kind of loneliness and think, oh yes, poor, poor people that are, are sing-. I'm talking about children growing up unloved. I'm talking about people in a loveless marriage who, although they may only be sleeping a few inches away from someone else at night, actually those few inches feel like miles because there's such a loneliness in the relationship. I'm talking about people who feel like no one knows them and understands them. No one loves them. I'm talking about people who've had relationships break up, people who've been let down and betrayed. Loneliness is a terrible thing. And this morning, what I want us to see is the wonderful gift that the Spirit of God is for us in this particular area of life. So let me say a couple of things from Pentecost. Now, we're not supposed to read Acts 2 and think that we're going to see this kind of thing all the time. Pentecost is a hugely significant incident in the history of God dealing with his people. That's why it's given so much time in the book of Acts. That's why it's accompanied with such unusual and miraculous things happening. So uh, I don't have time today to talk about the, um, the special sound of rushing wind or the tongues of fire resting on each of them, but I do want to focus on the languages in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, Christians today argue over whether this is the gift of tongues that Paul speaks about as an apostle later on in the New Testament. Uh, And there's a lot of kind of battles over that. Again, sorry about this, I'm not going to get into that now. (laughs) But come and see me afterwards if you want to talk about it. It's a great thing to look at. If you're thinking about the gift of tongues and what it is, you've got to wrestle with what it is here. Because here is something, this is not heavenly languages that's going on on the day of Pentecost. 
It's earthly languages. Uh, Look at verse 6 and 8. If you look at verse 6 and 8, you can see the key is each person heard others speaking in their own language. This is not a heavenly language that's going on. It's earthly languages, but being used or heard by people that had no knowledge of it. That's the miracle of what's going on here. But why? Why is this thing with languages happening at all? What's the meaning behind it? Well, it symbolises the first aspect of the Holy Spirit I want to focus and highlight today. The Holy Spirit unites us with other believers. The Holy Spirit unites us with other believers. Do you see the great length that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is going to here to show all the different languages and nationalities that we're able to hear and understand in one voice? In verse 4, it says they spoke in other tongues. In verse 5, it tells us there were Jews from every nation who were there. In verse 6, each one heard the disciples speaking in their own native language. And then in verses 9 to 11, you've got all those lists of different people, groups and areas that Neil had to read through that, that, that were present there. Huge effort, do you see, is being made to show that the work of the Spirit was allowing all these diverse people, all these different language groups and, and, and peoples to hear and understand in one voice. Because what's going on here is a reversal of one of the well-known, great, great in a a terrible sense, one of the well-known great episodes of the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel. Do you remember back in Genesis and the passage about the Tower of Babel? People in their arrogance were seeking to make a tower to reach God. They wanted under their own steam and power and glory to reach heaven and be like him. And God scatters them and he divides them. And how does he divide them? By making them speak different languages. You cannot get a better way of dividing people. If you can't communicate, you can't have unity. That's what happens at the Tower of Babel. But after Jesus, after what Jesus has done on the cross, the saving work of God unites people. The work of Jesus is for all people. Divisions are gone and the Spirit brings unity. At Babel, people were attempting to reach heaven and the result is division. At Pentecost, heaven comes down to people and the result is unity. We have unity as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Spirit. Do you remember what we say at communion? Next week is our communion service here at St Stephen's. Do you remember what we say at the the part of the service where we share the peace? That favourite part for so many people uh, here, where we share the peace. The minister says, brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ and we reply, by one spirit we were baptised into one body. It's the spirit that brings us unity because of the work of Jesus Christ. We've always got to remember that. As Christians, we're not alone. We have family around us. Have a look round. This is your family. Not many people are looking around. It's like, please, tell me there's a bit more to my family than this. Um, We're family. As Christians, we have a unity and an intimate friendship and fellowship uh, that's not there in the world. I am your brother in Christ. You are my sister or brother in Christ. We're wonderfully related. And not just with each other here at St Stephen's, but with all our Christian brothers and sisters wherever they are. When we hear more from Katie in the coming days about what's been going on in Spain, we'll be hearing more about our church family, part of our family. 
Our unity reaches beyond national lines, beyond denominational lines, and it should have a profound effect on the way that we see each other, care for each other, treat each other. And I'm talking about particularly with Christians. I'm not just talking about the brotherhood of all people. I'm talking about Christians in particular. Like Jesus, when he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He was talking about Christians loving one another. We have a unity as Christians because of the Spirit. But do we live that out? Why not take the opportunity this morning over morning tea to speak to one of your brothers or sisters that you don't know that well? Not just the ones that you do, not just on the normal type, but to, to, to make an effort with them because we are one. As Christians, we should never be alone totally in that sense. One of the joys of the Christian life should be the fellowship, the friendship that we share. And it should be characterised by trust, by service, by sacrifice. Because these are the things that Jesus did. And our friendships, therefore, should, should have a deeper level to them because they're not just based on race or income or special interests, but on the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, on him being in us and making us more like him and more thankful to him. So I ask you today, as I've been asking myself this week, how are you in your relationships with other Christians? And if they're not what they, you know they should be, if you wrestle with, you know, maybe they're not good and you feel like people aren't good at kind of paying attention to you or, or getting to know you or, or love you or serve you in that way, can I give you a bit of encouragement this morning on what not to do and what to do? Don't just wait for that to change. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You turn up to church on a Sunday, I know no one's really going to talk to me, they're all going to do their own thing, and then that happens, and then you feel worse, and you get more negative in your frame of mind, and, and what we end up doing is waiting, kind of hoping and getting more down and, and wallowing. And I'd encourage you, you can never control what someone else does, we can only control what we do, make sure you're being a Christian friend to a brother or sister in Christ. Make sure you're taking the initiative. Uh, it's so much better to be the friend, to be the brother or sister in Christ that you would want for someone else. Throw yourself into supporting them or encouraging them. If someone hasn't invited you around for a meal, invite someone else around for a meal. Someone hasn't dropped you a line or a card to encourage you in some way, drop someone else a line uh, and kind of work on it in, in, in that way. We're a church family brought about by the Holy Spirit, which means we're not alone, which is a great blessing, but it still can be painful. Uh, it, it brings a risk of getting hurt, doesn't it, or being let down. If, it, if that happens to us, what do we do? Take it and keep forgiving and keep loving and keep sacrificing. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us. It's what we can extend to one another. But I hope you can see the first aspect of the Holy Spirit uh, from Pentecost is he unites us with other Christians. Huge blessing. The second aspect, because we've got to keep moving on, is that the Holy Spirit unites every Christian, not just with each other, but with God. The Holy Spirit unites every Christian with God. We see that in Peter's explanation of what's been going on here, some of the people see it and they go, oh, they've been drinking. And he goes, no, no, they haven't been drinking. In verse 14, Peter gets up and he explains what's been happening and he explains it by talking about a prophecy from Joel, an Old Testament prophet. And he quotes it. And the quote starts, Joel prophesying that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Now, two questions that raises for us. When are the last days and what does it mean all people? 
Uh, We can sometimes see that phrase last days or last times and think that it refers to a time just before Jesus coming back, that kind of very last period before Jesus returns. But in the Bible, that's not how the phrase is used. In the Bible, that phrase is used to talk about the period of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return. They're the last days. The time that Jesus finished his work and that he'll come back to finish things up. That's the period of time. In other words, you and I are in the last days now. It's been the last days for nearly a couple of thousand years. We live in the days when God has done his work in Christ and we're just awaiting his return. And so the, the prophecy of Joel is speaking about now. So the last days is now. What does it mean all peoples? Well, I think there's a sense that the Holy Spirit does work on every single person, but it's specially referring, I think, here in Acts 2 to all Christians, all, all kinds of Christians. Uh, I didn't put uh, verse 38 here, but uh, as Peter carries on explaining things in his speech on the day of Pentecost, in verse 38, Peter explains more of what he says, what he meant. And he says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, everyone uh, who repents, turns to the Lord and baptised in his it receives the Spirit of God. And so what Peter is referring to in Joel's prophecy especially is that all types of people receive the Spirit. That's what he goes on to say, sons, daughters, old, young, servants. Peter's saying it doesn't matter what your gender is or your ages or your status is, all who turn to Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. And I want to point that out today in particular because there, again, another wrong teaching, I think, on the Spirit sometimes says that only super-Christians receive the Spirit of God. Or only the really spiritual, really full-on Christians receive the Spirit of God. That's not true. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and and follow him, you receive the Spirit. And if you've received the Spirit, you see the wonderful blessing of that? God is with you, always. You are not left alone in this world to struggle on by yourself. He's given you himself. He's given you his spirit to sustain you and strengthen you, to transform you, change you into the likeness of Jesus. If you've never done this before, think about the incredible privilege it is to have God dwell in you as a person. Because if we were talking to an Israelite uh, Uh, back in the day, they would never, ever, ever have believed that that is possible. Because the whole Bible at one level is the story of the presence of God. In the garden, you've got God walking amongst Adam and Eve, but then sin comes, the relationship is corrupted in some way, and God backs off, and the distance is a sign that things are not right. And all the way through the Old Testament, that sign of things not being right is the distance that people have to keep from God. So you get the tabernacle and the temple where right at the heart of those structures is the Holy of Holies where God dwells and the rest of the architecture is like a stay away sign. It's a danger. It's it's not good to come into God's presence. Only one person, the high priest, one day a year after doing a number of sacrifices can go anywhere near until you get to the New Testament. And suddenly John says that there is this person called the Word who is God and yet with God who tabernacles amongst us. And we're getting the sense that God is with his people again. And not just that, Jesus then stops talking about the temple as a building, but talks about what is the temple. 
himself, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And then more than that, we get as we carry on the Spirit of God being able to dwell inside someone. Well, how can that happen? Friends, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he did. Now, our forgiveness is so full and final. His righteousness is counted as ours so completely. Our washing is so perfect that God himself can dwell within us. They would never have believed that before because they didn't know what Jesus had done. It's an incredible privilege that you and I have, that God, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. We each have the Spirit inside us, working in us, encouraging us, transforming us, wherever we are, all the time. It's an unbelievable privilege. The fruit of the Spirit coming out more and more. The gifts of the Spirit being exercised more and more. You are never alone, even when your human relationships are fragile or non-existent. You are never left without someone who understands you, knows what you're going through in terms of your situational life. You're never without a guide, a friend, a support, a strength, a power. It's yours in the Lord by his Spirit. And because the Spirit comes from Jesus, this is the Hebrews verses which are so encouraging, aren't they? He understands us. He knows what we go through and sympathises with us. The Spirit of the Lord is not a fair-weather friend who's only with you when you're doing well and succeeding. He's there with us when we lose and when we fail and when we're at our lowest. God himself in you, with you, for you. Incredible privilege. I've got to draw to a close, but one thing I would ask is, do you know you've got the Spirit of God? And I ask that in two senses. There may be some here this morning who have never really trusted Jesus or followed Jesus, and so there's a question there. Come and see me if that's you afterwards. I'd love to chat to you about it. But I'm, I'm referring more to Christians who sometimes fear I don't have the Spirit because I don't feel it. And when I'm trying to do the right thing, I feel like I fail all the time. And when I, I want to feel his love, I don't feel like I'm loved. And so I'm not sure I've got the... Many Christians wrestle with this, struggle with it, doubt When things are going well in the Christian life, we don't even really think about it or whether God's with us. But when things are difficult, we often feel alone. I don't think I had the spirit. It can be because we're feeling low spiritually. It can be just because the the difficulties of life have got on top of us or we're feeling guilty because we keep letting the Lord down in different ways. I, I want to... Can I offer you some advice if that's you this morning? Forget your feelings and trust the promise of God. It's a much more accurate gauge on truth and reality. Our feelings are sometimes good and sometimes rubbish as reliable, accurate sources of correct information. There's an old saying which we all know but no one ever seems to take to to heart. Love is blind. What does it mean, love is blind? It means that our feelings often hide reality from us and confuse our perceptions and give us wrong information. And we can always see it in other people but never in ourselves. But too often as as Christians, we're guided by how we feel. I don't feel like I've got the Spirit. I feel alone. I feel unworthy. There is a much more secure, trustworthy gauge. Can I encourage you with? Listen to the promise of God. And he's promised, whoever trusts in the Lord has his Spirit. You have him with you, in you, working amongst you and through you. 
Peter here says, all who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. You can be absolutely confident and positive and assured that you do. Uh, I hope that's been helpful in some small uh, way because it reminds us that with the Spirit coming to us, we're never alone in life or death. Uh, And again, don't just go on your your feet. If you're feeling alone with the Lord, maybe there are some things you can do in your life. Like before I was saying, if you're feeling down with your human relationships, what can you do? In In your relationships with the Lord, stop asking so much and give thanks. You know, I'm not saying don't ask, the Lord loves us to ask, but make sure that's balanced with a thanks. Don't just be focused on me and my life when I look to the Lord, but focused on him and what he's doing amongst the world. Yet there are just subtle things that we can do to change our attitude and relationship with the Lord, which can make a, a real difference. But this morning, this Pentecost day, let's celebrate that you and I are not alone. Let's celebrate that God has united us with our brothers and sisters whom we can love and encourage and in whom we can receive love and encouragement. We're united to them in a profound way. We're one body, but also rejoice that he's united us to himself. That in all that we face, up, down, good, bad, he's with us, bringing us home to himself. The gift of the Spirit is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your spirit. And as I said at the beginning of our time, forgive us for those times when we take him for granted. Take the significance of what you've done in us and through us and what you're continuing to do in us and through us by your spirit for granted. I pray that you would give us thankful hearts. I pray that we would realise the, the, the wonder that we have of being united with brothers and sisters in Christ and with you and that we would live in the light of that unity, being a blessing to others, and seeking to uh, respond to you in a way which brings honour and glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.